travel family, adventures near and far, welcome to Point Noir, home of the Point Noir podcast, where we equip men of color to realize their full potential through travel. As always, I'm your host, Jerry the Third, aka the one and only Kimono Jack, and you are joining us now for the 69th session of the Point Noir podcast. Y'all, thank you so much for tuning in. It is Tuesday. It's a new year, 2020, and we are off hiatus and back on our normal release schedule. Now, I know this show is being released a little bit later than usual, depending on what part of the country or world you're in right now. We are quickly approaching quiet storm hours, and if you don't know what quiet storm is, Google it, but don't worry. We have some amazing content that will lure you into a state of travel relaxation. I promise you we have another amazing guest to introduce and share his story with you today. But first, I want to share some upcoming events and announcements, some things that I'll be participating in. Next week, I will be in the DMV area. So DC, Maryland, Baltimore, turn up, y'all. I will be on Howard campus, the Howard University. I'll be on the campus on Wednesday, and I will also be attending a very special travel event hosted by my dude, Beyond Be More, Brian. Shout out to him in Baltimore when he's launching his new 501c3 nonprofit to get kids of color abroad and traveling, get them passports. So I'll be there for that launch on Friday of next week, and I'll be on Howard campus on Wednesday. So there's a chance, there is a chance we'll do a Point Noir happy hour somewhere between Baltimore and DC, wherever might be most convenient. We'll see. All this has kind of come together at the last beautiful moment, but I just want to let y'all know that I'll be out in the area. So if anything cool is going on travel related, or maybe, I don't know, a cool event, or maybe y'all just really want to kick it with some refreshing beverages in a bar or something, let me know on social media at Point Noir Show. And if you're not following us on Twitter or Instagram right now, I'd love to know why. You know, we got a lot of people rocking with the show. Are you allergic to social media? Do you not like Instagram? Where's the best place where we can kind of stay in more constant communication? Hit me up. Let me know on Instagram or just email me kimonojack at pointnoirshow.com. There you go. Voila. That's it for the announcements today. Like I promised, we have another amazing guest. There's a chance you already know who this young man is. So without further ado, without further delay, let's introduce today's special guest. Joining us today as our special guest at The Point is a man that you might already know very well by now. I'll give you a couple of hints. He's been featured in the New York Times, been featured by Essence and BET. He's the creator and founder of Soul Society and the Soul Society 101 podcast and YouTube channel. And he's also an up-and-coming marketing guru. I'm talking about none other than Rondell Holder. Y'all, if you're not following him by now, make sure you check out his personal IG page at King Ron the Don. Make sure you check out the podcast, Soul Society 101. They are at Soul Society on Instagram and Soul Society 101 on YouTube. Y'all, I had such a great time kicking it with Rondell. We talked about his introduction into travel and adventure and growing up in a family that had roots and history in the Caribbean islands, how he evolved all the way with travel and learning about different cultures and being curious about people and made it all the way to the motherland Africa by tracing his DNA roots out there and then visiting those countries. If you want to see more about that journey, make sure you find Soul Society 101 on YouTube. He has the full mini documentary that he produced on there and it's great. We talk about so many things, including the future of travel for content creators and specifically 
travelers of color. So if that sounds like your vibe on this lovely Tuesday evening, then I highly suggest you take these next three steps very seriously. It's very serious business. All right, step number one. If you've been with us for a while, folks, you already know what it is. Pour yourself a nice, refreshing beverage of your choice. Alcoholic, non-alcoholic, get some juice, make it a smoothie. I don't care. Just make sure it's what's really going to satisfy the palate because we have a long session coming up. Step two, find the comfiest corner on the coziest couch or chair that you can. And step three, I want you to take a nice big inhale. (sighs) Let that air out. Relax your shoulders. Sit back and get ready to enjoy another fantastic session from us here at the Point Noir Podcast. I'll see you on the flip side. Yo, what's going on, Rondell? Thank you so much for joining me today here at The Point. How you feeling, bro? I'm great, man. How you doing? Dude, I'm good. We were just talking. Uh, I poured a little bit of tequila 1801. You know where to send them checks for sponsorship. <laughs> and um, it's reminiscent of the time we met because this tequila is actually from Audacity Fest. I saved it, stored it away in the freezer for a special occasion just like this. And, you know, when the moment's right, you know. For sure. And now is the time. There's no no time better than the present to open up those uh, mini bottles of tequila and, and get the party started. Exactly. And it's eco-friendly because you're going to warm yourself from the inside out. You know what I'm saying? Turn down that <laughs> turn down that thermostat. You don't need that. You don't need that. <laughs> but yo, man, so glad you can make it on the show. Uh, for those who might not be familiar with Rondell, I'm going to give you a second to introduce yourself, but you are another podcast professional, which is exciting because I like talking to other people who are used to speaking to, you know, strangers. That's pretty cool. Yes. Yes, sir. So I am Rhonda Holder, creator of Soul Society 101. Um, Started the platform in 2012, um, basically because I wanted to see Black people traveling more, answer a lot of questions for Black people traveling, and also learn more about Black people who are traveling. So started that community. It blossomed into a beautiful thing. Um, My podcast is Soul Society 101, the podcast. Um, And basically, we we create multimedia content um, for and by the Black traveler. So that's what it's all about. Audio content, written content, video content, um, which I guess we can talk about in a bit. But yeah, that's what I'm all about, man. That's what's up, bro. And it's such a cool platform, a very engaged audience. But before you even got there, tell me about kind of where you're from in the country, you know, a little bit about your origin story as an adventurer and traveler. For sure. So I I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) Well, it's a wild adventure in a different way, but um, had a great upbringing here and was really surrounded by different cultures from a very, very early age. My, My family's from the Caribbean. So Automatically, I grew up in the in seeing the um, nuances and dynamics between like being black in America and being a black Caribbean person. So real quick, is your family from the the whole Caribbean or from specific areas or one place in particular? From every island in the Caribbean. No, I'm just kidding. Mainly from the islands of Grenada and Jamaica. Um, But I do have family sprinkled in some other islands. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, that early on gave me like this curiosity about culture and learning the differences between people and why we are the way we are. Um, which I think in college at one point, I was like, what is that called? And I learned that it was anthropology. And I was like, maybe I should study anthropology. And everyone was like, 
there's no money. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He said, I'm going to become an influencer instead. And they said, yeah, that's a better idea. Why don't you study that anthropology, boy? Yeah, exactly. But nonetheless, it's interesting because it ended up coming out in me anyway. Like I studied marketing, which is another passion of mine, entertainment marketing, and it built a career in that space and worked in a lot of, you know, media companies, a lot of interesting clients. And it's been like music has always been my passion. So I thought I was going to be a record label guy until Napster hit and LimeWire hit. And I was like, well, there goes the music industry. (laughs) But I found a way to um, still work very close to the music and marketing, which, like I said, are my passion. So that's been my sort of career path. And then um, the, the love of culture, that anthropology major that I thought I wanted to be ended up still sort of come into life through soul society. So that's, that's my other love. In many ways, you've definitely lived that experience rather than, you know, in addition to reading, I know you are well-educated on the culture and history and different aspects and definitely the things you're interested in, but you've lived it. So you've, you're basically an anthropologist. I mean, in some ways, you know what? I, I was tempted to update my Instagram bio a few months ago and say I'm an unofficial anthropologist, but I was like, People aren't going to know what the hell I'm talking about, so I'm just going to leave that off. But I do definitely consider myself like an unofficial anthropologist, like learning about culture, being immersed in culture, having one on one conversations with people when I travel, not just surface level like, oh, it's lit where we about to go and have fun. But I am like literally everywhere I go. I've never been to a country and not connected with locals to really get to the root of like their history, who they are, why they operate the way they do why they dress the way they do, why the foods that they cook and eat, um, how they came to be, like all those things are just a natural curiosity of mine. So, and that and that's what anthropology is all about. So yeah, I am in in some sense an unofficial anthropologist. Name it and claim it, man, but it was a smart move not to put it on your bio. That's why you have followers. I'd say some <laughs> dumb shit like, I'm not a scientist, I just play one on my podcast. And people are just like, yo, I'm not with the shits. This dude is weird. <laughs> But you mentioned something really interesting, and we're going to jump around a bit because you know what? This is what we do on the show. But you mentioned being interested in the local culture, the foods, why they do things. You said it's part of your curiosity, but what drives that? Like, why would somebody who maybe isn't as engaged with the culture of the locals, like, why do you care? You got like all kinds of awesome other things to do or see or attractions to visit. Why do you care? What's the fascination? That is a great question. I I think... Um, I've never actually I've never thought about it, but I think it may be um, I think our, our purpose on in being on Earth, everyone has a different purpose, I think. But a part of our common purpose is really to be there for each other. Um, and I think part of being there for each other is um, and being empathetic to people is understanding them. So a lot of times when when you hear like just saying racist bigots, for example, and they're just so anti even seeing the perspective of other cultures and other races is ignorance you know what i mean and and the opposite of ignorance i think is that curiosity and that openness to getting to know other people even if they're totally different from who you are and it's almost impossible to be that ignorant and that racist and that just anti if you open yourself up to just having conversations with people you know i think the world would just be a lot better place if we all just had that perspective of being open and learning versus, you know, whatever society or our families or our surroundings are telling us we should be and do and act like, um, which, which I think is a trap that a lot of people fall into. 
It's a very pervasive one. You know, we grow up in certain cultures. I mean, the world is so vast, so big, different religions, different ideologies, different types of government. It's easy to see why people uh, are attracted to that because they need acceptance in their own community. Everybody needs a place to go. But if I'm interpreting you correctly, this is beyond race. This is really about being there to support each other just as people. Yeah, for sure. I think the human, the human, um, the common thread in humans is that we all, we all want the same things. We all want security. Mm. We all want love. We all want happiness. We all want our loved ones, our family, our friends, our, our partners to be safe and secure. And I think that's the common thread that you learn no matter all the differences that we have. And I think we, we stare so far away from that with all the, you know, the bullshit of the everyday and differences. Um, but that's the biggest thing is that everyone wants the same thing. All human beings want the same thing. I don't, I, I'm not the type of person that is trying to save everybody and is like, everyone get along. I know that that's not going to happen, but I think- we Captain save a human? You're not a captain save a human? I'm not a captain save a human, but um, <laughs> I do think we could do a lot better though. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. And I think both of us have probably seen that the more that we travel, the more it just proves that point that really everybody wants to feel respected, appreciated, safety and security, you know, experience love. And that's that's it. The way we go about it, that definitely varies. But I'd agree. Everybody kind of has those same basic needs, desires. Yeah, for sure. Wow. We kind of just jumped off the uh, the deep end on that one. <laughs> I mean, you asked a great question. I didn't I didn't know we were getting there so quickly, but I dig it. I dig it. So let's let's back up a bit, because I think it's fascinating that you grew up in a, a heavily Caribbean inspired culture, even though I'm from the East Coast, I wasn't around a lot of that. So as I have guests who have that influence in their family, I'm, I'm fascinated. What was that like? Did you get chances to travel um, to see family? Like what were some of your early travel experiences knowing that your family was not from the States originally? Well, before we get into that, you, you grew up in Pennsylvania, right? Yep. Yeah, so I will say I went to college in, in Philly, Temple University, and that was such a complete culture shock. And when, when I was thinking about where to go to college, it wasn't a thought in my mind about like what that cultural experience would be. Yeah. I I had um with a, a limited view of uh I guess black international black culture and even how black culture varies within the United States, because I knew like what New York black culture was, the black American, the African and the Caribbean and Afro-Latina, even black culture in New York. But just two hours away in Philadelphia, I was like, yo, this is a whole fucking different world. I'm like, there's different slang. There's different ways of dressing. Like we, you know, it's just, it's just a totally different place. And it was, it was at that point that I really got to see and I would say probably appreciate more some of my cultural experiences growing up. So growing up in New York, like especially in Brooklyn, I can speak for Brooklyn specifically. I, if I had to estimate what percentage of Black people in Brooklyn had Caribbean roots, I would say 50 to 75%. So wow. me, yeah, it's- That's real different. Yeah, like all my friends, my family, like I said, is from Grenada and Jamaica, but like my friends were like Haitian, Jamaican, Trinidadian, Bayesian, Guyanese. So that like, and we had, we all have like slight differences in our accents and our culture and all that stuff. But there is definitely a common thread in that, in terms of like the, you know, the way parents raise their kids in terms of the foods that we eat, in terms of the music that we listen to and all that. And so, you know, even 
outside of traveling to the Caribbean, even when I would go to friends' houses, it was a different experience. Or when family would come up to visit from the Caribbean, which was like all the time, it was like, yo, I'm really living this very separate life, but then I may go to school. And then it was like the nineties was like, you know, the time where hip hop to me was at its peak. And so it's like, yo, there's a whole different other black experience that I'm sharing with like another community. So jumping back and forth, I think between those two worlds was a very interesting thing growing up. Yeah, that's a lot. And I'm I'm curious in your family, what was the when did your your family first come over to the states? Um, so on my mother's side, I I would say the early seventies, I believe. I got the full story, thankfully. Before um, my grandparents are all still alive, and years ago, I got the full story about like why they came to America and all that. There was a time I want to say the seventies, um, early seventies, where the U.S. needed nurses, like really, really bad. Mm -hmm. So they were recruiting a lot of nurses. Healthcare is very, very big in the Caribbean. So they were recruiting a lot of nurses from the Caribbean um, to come up to New York. They were incentivizing them with like housing, discounted college uh, tuition rates, I believe. And so, you know, my grandmother had to leave her full family behind. My grandfather, um, my mother, my uncle, my aunt, um, leave them in Grenada to come up here to like start school again because she was a nurse in Grenada, but you know, she had to be certified in America to start school right. again to, you know, secure herself to get a house and all that stuff. Um, and then she basically had to send back for the rest of the family once she like established herself after a couple of years. Um, and so, you know, that, that story of resilience alone is something that once you learn is like, well, shit, I can't fuck up. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Yeah. It's like, you know, she had to sacrifice a lot. And then on my father's side, my grandmother, and it's interesting because it always seemed like the women leading this charge of like, I want better. I want more opportunity. Um, so do you think it's any different today? (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. So my grandmother, my father's mother, um, left in a different way, but still the idea of like, I want more opportunities for my children and grandchildren um, and just a better situation for myself. And not that either of their lives were bad, but just opportunities in the Caribbean were a lot smaller. Like it was, you know, the, the, what I do for a career now was just not, was not even a thought wouldn't have been possible. So um, I'm grateful for it because I would have ended up probably a fisherman or, you know, or, someone in banking because those are basically the options that you have and that neither one of those are me at all so i'm grateful for them taking the risk but um yeah that's how they ended up here wow so growing up you mentioned being in these different spaces and kind of experiencing your blackness or how it was perceived in different ways depending on where you were like in the in the states new york versus going to uh school in philly i know you went to temple shout out philly what a great place so like in terms of your upbringing, because again, I didn't grow up like this, did you ever feel that you were being pushed towards becoming Americanized or were the Jamaican roots like very strong? Like how did your parents kind of raise you and socialize you to think about not only the sacrifices and lineage that you came from, but how to be successful in the future? There was extra pressure for sure. I think because of you know, the risks and the sacrifices that, that people have made, there was definitely an extra pressure to succeed. Constantly a comparison, I think, 
um, amongst black people of like, you need to rise above whatever the idea of black people is in this country. Um, and that and black people that did not originate from the Caribbean or the West Indies. Yeah, it was basically like, this is the percent, like, just so you know, this is the perception of black people. We don't play that shit in this family. So regardless of what you see your friends doing or anybody else doing, this is the, the standard that we're expecting of you. That's basically mm. what it was. And um, I think the Caribbean in general, um, which I think you hear from a lot, just immigrant families in general, there's a certain level of like strictness and sternness. And not to say that doesn't exist in the U.S., but it's, I think, more generally accepted <laughs> outside of the U.S., um, so there were definitely those things as well um, that passed down through the family. But I think it was, see, being in New York, like I said, being in Brooklyn, you were able to hop back and forth between those worlds a lot. So I grew up listening to hip hop, but I also grew up listening to soca and dancehall and reggae. So it was pretty, it was pretty well-rounded, honestly. Like there wasn't, I'm trying to think if there was a time where I felt forced to be one or the other. I think because I grew up in Brooklyn, New York specifically, it was a nice balance of moving back and forth, at least for what felt comfortable to me. But I do think Caribbean people growing up in different parts of the country that don't have such a big population can definitely feel different. Because even the um, people from the West Indies that I met from Philly at Temple, I was like, it took me like three years to find out they were Jamaican or Trini or whatever. I'm like, if you're in New York, that's one of the first conversations you have. Where are you from? You know what I'm saying? So it's sort of like, I feel like in New York, you were allowed to embrace it and celebrate it. Whereas in other parts of the country, it was like, oh, you need to like blend in with everybody else. And if everybody else isn't that, then that's not cool. Like I would talk to my friends at Temple from DC and, and you know, going to parties for the first time freshman year of college was like, you know, all the New Yorkers were waiting for the dance on the soca because that's what got us the most hype. The DC right. people were waiting for their go-go. And when the reggae and soca would come on, they'd be like, y'all really listen to this? We're like, this is all we listen to, bitch. <laughs> right. They're like, damn, in high school parties, like this is when everybody would like cool out and sit down. We're like, what? <laughs> so it was, it's, it's been interesting, but I love it though, to be honest. Like I, again, because I love culture, I think that is part of my like, curiosity of like oh like this is not everybody's thing and that's okay that's real that's really real and i appreciate you indulging me in those questions because i'm really fascinating at um those aspects going on 30 as i am now like i didn't grow up in these areas where there were different perceptions of blackness i was from the you know middle class suburbs so there was already a perception put on me like it was just me <laughs> and a few others yeah so just seeing how diverse the you know those of us the descendants african descendants through the diaspora are and seeing how hard people like yourself vouch for blackness in general it's it's fascinating and i really appreciate you sharing me kind of how you view things because not everybody has that some people it's always you know it's jamaica first whatever you say i'm just here to make my check take care of my family but everything's going back to jamaica or it's africa first no matter what country it is you know yeah. it's nigeria first and you really feel that but in our interactions and the platform you've created i don't get any sense of that and i know it's not it's not the case for everybody yeah i think for me my my perspective on it is that we as black people we are all connected and and that 
that's probably the biggest thing in my journey right now with my travels, especially my travels to Africa and to other parts of the world where um, in the diaspora where, you know, enslaved Africans were brought is that we are all the same people. You know, like when I went to the slave ports um, in Togo and Benin and learned that like the French, the Portuguese, the British and the Spanish, their slave forts were like on the same block. And so literally they could split up a family, you know, and half the family go to the, well, a third of the family go to the Spanish, a third of the family go to the French and a third of the family go to the English. And that yeah. means that your same family could have ended up in Dominican Republic, in the South of the U.S. and in French Caribbean. You know what I'm saying? And so, or, right. or a French, uh, um, or France for that matter. So, you know, we really are we come from the same place. Like I said, the things that bond us are are stronger than the things that make us different. And I love the differences within us, but I think the biggest thing for me is uniting us as a people. Cause I think there's been a lot of fucking socioeconomic bullshit that's been put on us to separate us and make us feel like this group is better than the other, or this class is better than the other, or people from this country is better than people from this other country. And it's like, we need to stop all that bullshit and realize like, yo, we are literally all from the same place, all from the same fucking five countries. And the sooner we realize right. that and come together and work together and socialize together and just communicate on that page, I think we'll finally like take our power back in the fucking world because the division of our people was really the downfall. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to let that just marinate over here over the airwaves. Take a sip of my tequila because... Those are some words, bro. <laughs> it's 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 real, man. I think, you know, there's there's been a lot of damage done and I do think thankfully we're in a state of like a like a cultural renaissance where black people are really interested in learning more. I think there was a point where it was kind of like us and them for a lot of different groups of black people, but yeah. I think we're definitely in a place where everyone is just like Nah, I want to learn more about what you're about and how we can build and come together. So for people, that'll be different things. Like somebody's going to go to Ghana and say, yo, I want to move here, which I, I know several people who've done that. They've moved to the continent of Africa. Obviously, Africans have moved to the U.S. Um, there are people who set up businesses there. Um, I think, like I said, even on a social aspect, even us just having that communication with people, um, you know, black people in France and in the UK and in the Caribbean and in, you know, Brazil and on the continent of Africa, like us just even having communication with each other, I think is, is a step forward in the right direction. Yeah. The access, the awareness is huge with social media, with the internet period. It's really enabled us to get a peek somewhere that we might never travel to or not have had the economic means to travel to. You can literally talk to someone, see their face just with your phone. Yep. That's why when people talk shit about social media, I'm like, yeah, it has its downsides, but y'all, like, we are light years ahead of some of the ignorance that we were dealing with because we didn't have it, so. I look at it that um, in the way that we have the potential or the opportunity to be ahead of ourselves, because in the same way we have our echo chambers of people that we know are trying to do progressive things within the culture, within the black community, there are also people who go down the echo chambers where it just further radicalizes them. So it's the opportunity to peek into someone else's story, but if they don't have the curiosity in a similar way that you have the curiosity, that just the mere interest, be like, oh, what's life like across the fence? Right. They're not using it. 
Right, for sure. Yeah, I, I end up becoming like not a defender of social media, but it's just like, yo, people are people. The internet just makes us move faster with, with more information, but people have been doing the same shit for uh, forever. <laughs> Super facts. No, nah, it's it's really true. And it's like in in every aspect, man. Like if you look at like the, the people who are like the fame whores who are like, I want to be the most popular and be the most liked, there were always people who wanted to be the most popular and most liked in their city, in their circle, like that doesn't change. There's the people who are like, well, I'm going to show TNA to get attention. Chicks been showing TNA to get attention. Like it's just, it's, it just puts a magnifying glass on it, basically. Right. I'm trying to think of what the male equivalent is. Is it D's and P's, dicks and pecs? <laughs> arms, women like arms? <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't, we don't have much that we can show off uh, in public and be okay, but... <laughs> Oh, my bad. Maseratis and bank accounts. There, there you know it what is. I'm saying? There Come on is. now. There it is. Yeah, we got, we got, yeah, I try to make this an equal opportunity platform. Um. Nah, I'm, with <laughs> I'm with you on that. I'm glad you brought it up because that's for sure. I guess the guy equivalent is really like the flashiness of like what I got. That, and, and again, how long, that's been like probably since the, the cave days. You know what I'm saying? Like the bravado. Oh yeah, bottle service in the cave, baby. You know what it is. Ooga booga. Ooga booga. i love it man oh dude this is great really enjoying myself right now so (laughs) let's get back to the uh the travel aspects how did you experience travel growing up like um did you take trips back to uh the west indies to the caribbean i did not as much as i would have liked but it really kicked off for me as soon as like i was in college and had enough money. Actually, to be completely honest, before I had enough money, I was being a dummy and using that credit card to travel. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So as soon as I found the means, I should say, I was like, yo, I'm out and I want to start seeing the world. Um, I didn't study abroad, which was my only regret in college. I really wish I did that, but I was just scared. I was like, yo, I don't want to be overseas and dead broke. Um, Yo, I'm not even going to flex on you right now, but Tokyo has one of the few U.S. campuses in Japan. And uh, I'm sorry, Temple oh, has know. a full ass campus in Japan. Bro. I know. And that's where I wanted to go. Like they they have campuses in Italy, Japan, Ghana and a few other countries. And I wanted to go to the Temple Japan like that. They had like the media communications, which would have worked for my major and everything. But mm-hmm. I was shook. I was like, yo. What, what held you back? Was it not seeing other people doing it? Was it the expense? Was what? It was really the expense. Like that was really- Was it the chopsticks? <laughs> nah, not at all. I, like I've always, I wanted to go there because I've always been interested in Japanese culture. Um, I, yeah. I ended up going to Japan with my little brother later on in life, which was super dope. It definitely lived up to my expectations. And But yeah, that was my biggest regret is that I wanted to go. It, it definitely wasn't the lack of people. I knew people- who went to the Italy program for like summer session for a semester, um, people who did London. Um, I wanted to do Japan, but it was really just finances. Like I was just scared. Okay. You were afraid to invest the money or the finances or scholarship opportunities weren't available? I was afraid to go there and be broke. Like my oh. room board would have been covered, but like, I'm like, I don't want to be in Japan and be like, I can't even enjoy Japan because I'm broke as hell. That's really what my fear was. Got you. Got you. That's real. And I haven't had that experience. And I'm I'm just curious because, I mean, you said that's your only regret of college. I kind of regret going to college. So I'm grateful <laughs> just to hear this positive story. This is dope. Why do you regret going? Bro, 
that's a talk for another podcast. Okay. I, yeah. For what I spent versus what I got out of it, got it, it led me on this windy path where I'm now hosting a podcast, which I love. I've really forced myself to find what I love. Yeah. But uh, it's a really bad game plan. It it depends. And I think, you know, for the younger generation now, like people are like, oh, they don't want to go to school. They don't want to do this and that. They're unmotivated. But the truth is they've seen a generation or two generations of people who've busted their ass, gone to college, gone into debt and either couldn't get a job when they graduated or ended up in a completely different space where their degree didn't even matter. So if you see that for you know, 10 years in front of you, you're not going to be motivated to go to college and go into debt for it. So it's definitely not for everybody. I totally get that. I squeezed the life out of the use of my degree. So I can't say. Right, right. No. And that's, that's the way to do it. I think when you look back on it and this is taking a diversion, but (sighs) people who've had skill and a, not even a resume, but a body of work behind them have always been employable. I just think that the way that society overvalues a college degree and pushes that, like that's all I heard about growing up as a kid was ah, college yeah. needed degree, college needed degree. And it's like, well, you know, if I look around at my people, my parents' age or whatever, I'm just like, y'all seem pretty unhappy and broke. Like, I wish I could have thought through that a little bit better before doing it. Um, that's all. No, that's I, all. I am totally aligned with that. Totally. Aligned. It's not for everybody. Just like you said. I agree. That's right. Point to our podcast. Fuck college. Y'all heard it. College. Don't (laughs) not. Listen, when I open up this mega church, we're going to have education. We're going to have associate's degree. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) To to tie it back to culture and travel and all that, I do think, though, one of the benefits for me in going to college, especially going away to college, like I said, was being exposed to so many different types of people. Like freshman year, my... um, roommate was from like the middle of Pennsylvania, had barely seen any black people his whole life. And that was quite an experience. I was like, oh, is he from Allentown? Ah, I don't even remember what part, to be honest. That's how middle of Pennsylvania was. I understand. I get it. Yeah. And so we had a lot of like real conversations that freshman year where I was like, you know, my I had a big poster of Aaliyah on the wall because she had just passed the year before. That was like wifey in my head. And mm-hmm. he was like, um, I can't remember how we got on the topic, but he was basically like, oh, she's not really black. And I was like, oh, she's pretty black. <laughs> she's pretty black. And it was just like things like that. Like he didn't. And I was like, so who's an example of like, a, I guess, quote unquote, real black woman to you? And he was like, oh, Whoopi Goldberg, for example. And I was like, oh, wow. OK. Um you know, that's a, that's a cultural difference. I had to learn his ignorance came from not knowing people outside of people like him. And that, again, that type of thing pushes you to connect with people, teach them one, but also like pushes you to want to learn more so that you're never that ignorant in any situation. Wow. That's a whole uh, thesis right there. That's one of many examples of like, Sometimes college is a social experiment that makes you stronger. Not so much a degree, but I mean, in a good way and a bad way. Like I've connected with some amazing people who are still in my network and some people who are friends, but also like that experience of, yo, people are different as fuck, man. Like we are not all the same at all. <laughs> it's so true. And I, I definitely see your point there. I went to school at the University of South Carolina and it was the most diverse place in Columbia proper. Like 
it was all the diversity. You had students, international students everywhere. You had uh, black, white, Latinx, like you just had everybody. And for that region, as soon as you left campus, you go 10 minutes outside of campus, and you were like, oh shit, this is, this is why y'all seceded. Like, it was very clear the difference. Um, centers of education promote diversity and openness of thought. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Wow. And your roommate said, oh, she's not really black. Well, you would have made a terrible U.S. police officer. I'll say that. Listen. <laughs> they would, he, he wouldn't have passed the, uh, the training. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> so, ever listening. Um, I hope you have grown since that time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. But an opportunity and gracious of you to even to, to share and educate. And maybe we'll talk on that a little bit later about you know, how we feel about teaching and, and being that person standing in the gap. Uh, but first, I want to know what the first trip you took was where you said, you know what, I want to keep seeing more of the world. I want to keep exploring these different cultures and people. Um, I think a lot of my first trips were to the Caribbean and mainly because I think that was like a comfort zone, but also the curiosity because a lot of people um, make the assumption that the Caribbean is all the same. They are there are some islands that have a lot of similarities. There are some islands that are totally different. Bro, to, to be completely transparent before everybody listening right now, the whole community, I'd be learning about new islands like every other week. Yo. I'd be like, this isn't, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're very different. Um, again, some of, them, some of them have similarities, especially those that are near each other. So like Grenada is near Trinidad, is near Barbados. So those cultures are somewhat similar. I get it. So like Haiti in the Dominican Republic, right? Exactly. Exactly. Jokes. I know. Nah. Jokes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a, um, an, an anomaly. Not, no, what am I trying to say? That's, that's a, what is the word, Jerry? You're not helping me right now. <laughs> an exception. <laughs> that is an exception. To the <laughs> yes. Um, same island, y'all, just in case. Go on Google Earth. It's the same goddamn island. <laughs> you would yeah. never know. Yeah. You would never know. Some of my um, early trips were to the Caribbean, um, half because it was a comfort zone, the other half because that's where a lot of my friends were from growing up. So I wanted mm -hmm. to really like see like, oh, what, what's your, what are your people really like? I think the first trip that was really like, yo, this is totally off from what I'm used to was Iceland. I did Iceland and Amsterdam in one trip together. And yo, I was like, I didn't, I didn't know at all what to expect from Iceland. And it blew my mind, bro. I was like, this is, wow. I need to do more, more, more shit that's different than what I'm used to. So what led you to go to Iceland? Free layover. It was a free layover with- uh, <laughs> That's I, real. I think Iceland Air or Wow Air, um, basically they were like offering like a free 48 hour layover in Iceland to go to most countries in Europe. So it would be like two days in Iceland, then you could go to- Amsterdam, which is what we did, or Paris or London or Copenhagen or whatever. Um, and so my boy was like, oh, I want to go to Amsterdam. And I was like, okay, cool. Amsterdam sounds cool. And he's like, oh, I'm thinking about doing um, this layover. And I'm like, Iceland? I'm like, I don't know about that. Googled it a little bit. And this is before like Iceland became a super, super popular destination. Um, right. And so I was like, okay, it's cold, but apparently not as cold as people would think. And there's like ponies and shit and <laughs> the uh, Northern Lights. So I was like, okay, whatever, it can't hurt. Um, and it was just such a dope trip, like such an unexpected, cool, 
city and country with so many unique things to offer that are so very different from anything I was used to. And also they didn't know how I was going to perceive, be perceived as a, ba- a black man, a big black man in, you know, a country in that region. But it was all love except like one person. But, you know, that that doesn't mean that doesn't mean much to me. I think she was just a old, bitter lady. But um, otherwise, everyone was super welcoming and nice and mad safe. And I had a great time, like partying, exploring the the uh, city, Reykjavik, and the um, outskirts. Um, just beautiful also, like the plains out there. It, the, the landscape is like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, for sure. It's a lot of a lot of nature, a lot of... Do they have the big waterfall out there? Is that in Iceland? Yeah, they have the waterfall. They have the Blue Lagoon. Um, the black sands on the beach. Yep, yep, all of it, all of it. It was just so different, man. And I'm not a winter person. Uh, when I travel, it's always to be warmer if possible, but mm-hmm. that, was, that was definitely an exception. So one thing you mentioned in there that I'd love for you to elaborate on, if you could, was this lady that wasn't so kind to you. And I don't want you to focus on the lady, but I'd love for you to share why that didn't define your experience. Why you kind of said Iceland is a great place. I had this one experience and I'm not even going to pay attention to it. What about your character allows you to just dismiss that? Yeah, I think most times when people have an issue with you, it's a it's an issue with themselves and you can't, you can't change people. So basically we were um seated near each other and she like kept looking at me and I was like okay I know you probably don't see that many black men but she just kept looking at me in this like uncomfortable way and so I was like I'm also not gonna go out my way to be like make myself like dim myself down I guess is the right way to say it like I'm I'm gonna be mm-hmm. myself like I'm a upbeat vibrant person like I'm having fun and so she, we're seated next to each other. And then she asked like the host, can she be seated elsewhere? Because she doesn't feel comfortable sitting next to me. And I was like, wow. And mind you, like everyone who knows me knows that I don't know how I look to random people, but I'm like the nicest fucking, not nicest, the the most fair person in the world. Like I've never done anything to randomly harm somebody. Like I've never stolen shit. Like all the things that she may be fearing is like so anti who I am as a person that yeah. I'm just like, yo, I know she probably has all these thoughts in her head of who I am or what I could potentially do to her. And that's on her. That's her ignorance. Again, um, instead of getting to know me or not just fucking sitting there and seeing what happens as I have my conversation, and she has hers. She, you know, got all in her head and was like, oh, I want to be seated elsewhere. And I'm like, well, you one, you miss out on an opportunity to get to know an amazing fucking person, which is me. Um, Big but, <laughs> but also, it's just it just again it proves more about who she is than me. Like I know who I am. I'm comfortable in that. So, I, and I don't take that out on the country because there's ignorant people everywhere, man. Ignorant people are everywhere. Ignorant people are in most of our homes. So, you know, we we gotta love some people through it and some people we just got to be like oh fuck it that's you um and that's basically where i took it everyone else in the country um was cool to me so i would definitely go back to iceland regardless of that situation that's powerful man i really appreciate you breaking down with all those words how you view it because it's a nuanced discussion you know when we talk about being open and 
kind of giving people the benefit of the doubt, recognizing their humanity and being willing to have a conversation, at some point you might have to draw a line with certain types of people who just are not open or not in the space to receive that. And I think that's something that comes with maturity, with time, with experience, and everybody has their temperament. You mentioned that you weren't friendly, but you're fair. And I resonate with that because I am firm and fair. Right. Um, but there's some people that are way more forgiving and open than I am. And yo, you get like, I default to my DNA. That ain't me. And um, that will never be me. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you sharing those words because I think people do struggle with that in some capacity. Yeah, I was going to, my first word was nice. And then I was like, no, I'm not necessarily a nice person because a nice person sometimes goes out their way to be like extra comforting like someone nice i think would probably like say hi how you doing and what's going on and x y and z and like engage with her so that she could probably feel more comfortable because she was staring at them for me it's like i'm just here i'm in my own body in my own space i'm not you know intruding your personal space you're not intruding mine everything should be fine unless it's not and so you know, I don't have to go out my way to be extra nice to anybody. Like that's not, there's no, there's no rule in, in the book or the Bible that says I have to be that way. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm a fair person. Like I didn't do anything to hurt you. I won't. And you know, if you fuck with me, it might be a problem. You know, it's really simple. I think, (laughs) I think that's fair. So I had to change that word. I don't think I'm necessarily nice, but I'm definitely a fair person. That's real. And it seems like that's a space that allows you plenty of comfort to be in uh, experience life as you are and others to be themselves. And again, I think, you know, in this travel space that you are way more well-versed in than I am, I think we need more spaces for nuance like this, because we deal with this without even getting on a plane and leaving the country. We can deal with this anywhere, um, just because of the color of our skin. And, you know, how do I represent myself with integrity and respect and deal with, you know, negative behaviors towards myself. Yeah, that's that's for sure, man. And I was it's it's great that you brought that up because I was gonna bring up this other example. And it was a, a time, um, like I was working at the time in a very, very busy location in Manhattan. And it was like where I had to go in to work, there were people running out of the train from New Jersey, from different parts of Manhattan. It was like a mad dash of people going in every direction. And, you know, I would be, I I have to walk in a straight line to get from where I'm going to work. And people would literally cut in front of me, stop short in front of me. Like, it's almost like I didn't exist. And so I realized one day, like bump into me, everything, not look back, not apologize. And I realized one day it's not happening to everybody. There's Hmm. sort of, um, I'm trying to find the words. There's a sort of lack of respect for black people's presence sometimes or acknowledgement even yeah and and i had to realize one day like i'm no longer gonna deviate my path to make it more comfortable for other people i'm gonna keep walking straight and firm the same way everybody else is walking straight and firm to go wherever they have to go and if people bump into me on my path then so be it but i was like let me test this theory out because i'm like I could be bugging. I'm again, I'm a fair person. So in my head, I was like, right, right. I'm gonna test this out. I could be bugging. If nothing happens, I was bugging. If I do end up seeing reactions from people that are like 
whoa, 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 why are you doing this? Even though I'm just simply walking in a straight path, then that tells me I was right. Sure enough, right off the bat, that very first day that I tried it, two people bumped into me, looked at me like I was crazy, even though I was the one walking in a straight path and they were going in all kinds of crazy directions. Yeah. One woman stopped right in front of me to look at her phone as she saw me walking in that path. And I was just like, yo, this is crazy. There's literally like, I think, and, and I saw an article about this recently that had me rethink of this time. It sounds like, I don't know, it could sound crazy to some people who haven't had this experience, but I think black people have had to like dim their light and, and be flexible for other people for so long that is become ingrained in some of us to move out the way and not walk straight. And I mean that literally and in like all theoretical ways, because we're not, we haven't been taught to own our own space. And I was like, yo, fuck it. Moving forward, I'm walking straight if I need to walk straight and everyone else can do. And, you know, I take that with me in throughout my life since that time, because I'm like, yo, we need to really own our space. Everyone else does. Everyone else does. Mm. That's so powerful, man. Thank you for sharing it. It's something that hasn't been shared on the show, but these are the nuances that I really want to discuss. This platform's about men of color who have perspective through travel, but in that whole phrase is is men of color. And I think there's a lot of work that we need to do to to encourage each other to heal each other, but when being yourself has been perceived not only just, you know, in people's imaginations, but by the law as an act of violence, you tend to to shrink yourself down a little bit just so no crazy bullshit comes off. You think of people like Emmett Teal and all these different yeah. stories, like yeah. just being you is perceived as violent. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly that. That's exactly that's the word. Those are the words I was trying to find. Shrink yourself down. That's exactly what it is. It's almost like you have to like, you can't walk proudly. You can't walk with your head high. You can't walk straight and firm because you constantly feel like you have to, you have to fit whatever, whatever around everything else that's going on. And it's like, no, at some point you have to realize I'm going to stand firm and walk firmly and people are going to have to conform to me as much as I have to conform to them, if not more. Why not? Mm. Yeah, that's bold, bro. I feel it. I resonate with that is bold. And hopefully we can chop up more of that discussion because there's a lot, you know, just because you're out here being bold and kind of, you know, standing with your, you know, your head held high and your shoulders back, there's also a level of responsibility that we have to still be empathetic and caring towards each other as brothers towards our women. And I feel like some people really get caught in that gray space in between and would appreciate just having a space to talk about it and getting some perspective. Yeah, for sure, man. It's 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 layered as it as with most things connected to being black. Um, <laughs> it's layered, and and that that complexity is not all our fault. I'll say that for sure. It's that social lasagna, bruh. <laughs> social lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be the name of our pop up dinner series, dinner and conversation. Social lasagna. <laughs> I'm coming to New York, man. It's 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 a wrap. I've already spoken it into existence. <laughs> and I know you're going to come out and throw a mad party for it. But I know you got a ton of 
travel experience. And I want to know from you, what has been your most powerful travel experience thus far? What has resonated with you the deepest and just given you so much fulfillment? What, what experience has that been for you? By far, the most fulfilling experience for me was um, my heritage journey. So I took a DNA test and traced my roots to um, Africa and other places because of slavery, of course. And um, I took a trip to the first two countries, to Benin and Togo, and connected with locals. And um, I'm going to pause you there. I'm going to pause you right there. Why? Why did you do this? Why did you even take the DNA test? We're going to take this step by step because I know this is a brilliant story. Um, I'm not familiar with it, but I got a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, I've always been curious, man. Like, again, that curiosity of me just wanting to connect cultures and and make sense of a lot of stuff. I've always been curious to know, like, I know my family um, directly is from the Caribbean, but what does that mean beyond that? Like, what countries do we originate from and what does that have to even how does that connect to the countries in the Caribbean that my families are from? So, um mm. So it was just really curiosity. I just always wanted to know Um, because the history of the Caribbean, the history of black people in America is relatively short. And so the history of Africa goes, man, (laughs) way, way, way back. So to connect to a a history and a culture that goes literally thousands of years older is a powerful thing. Um, So, yeah, that's why I took the test and I found out which countries um, make up my DNA and um ventured off to togo and benin which was the highest percentage i'm heading to ghana actually in a few weeks uh next week actually and um congo and i'm hoping to go to all the countries that um, make up my ancestry um and so the trip to answer your question the trip to togo and benin by far was the most like fulfilling um life-changing trip that i've had for sure Wow. So walk me through that. I I definitely appreciate and respect why you have that curiosity. And there is a history before the Caribbean, before enslavement. So you take the test, you you take the DNA test. How did you feel taking the test? Like, do you believe in the science of it all? Or were you just eager to have some idea? That's a good question. So at first I was skeptical. I was like, eh, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know how accurate these these results are going to be. But I believed in it because I knew my um, friend and old colleague is South African and she took the test and it came back 99% South African. Um, and then I know mm-hmm. another guy who's Ghanaian and he took the test and it came back like 54% Ghanaian and 40 something percent um, Togolese, which is right next door. So I'm like, okay, this gives me, I know it's not 100% accurate. Um, but it gave it gave me a little more confidence that the results would drive me at least in the right direction. Got you. So if someone wanted to do a similar path, do you have a recommendation for a company or a service to do these DNA tests that you trust? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different DNA tests out there. Um, the one I took was Ancestry DNA. That was just by default. There are a lot of Black-owned ones that I would recommend. Um, there are a lot of them? Well, not a lot. There are a couple. I shouldn't say a lot. Okay. I was like, what? No, there's a couple. Where, where are we getting this science from? <laughs> so one is um, Afro Roots. Um, they're a newer one. They they partnered with a lab that has the largest um, pool of Black genetic data. 
Um, and okay. so their results, so they, their results are going to be a lot more, um, I, I guess a lot more accurate, but they have the most data to, to play with in terms of black genes. So I would probably say them, um, I think African ancestry is another black owned one. Um, but yeah, the one I took was African ancestry. I mean, sorry, okay. ancestry DNA, sorry. I, I wasn't even going to say anything. I was just going to let it run. Um, <laughs> appreciate your attention to detail. So uh, talk to me about that trip. What made the experience so powerful? What were some of the the revelations that you had while going through that experience? Man, so, so many. So um, I didn't, first of all, I didn't want to make the trip just a whole like slavery experience. I wanted obviously for that to be part of it because you know, that's the history of how, you know, my ancestors got from these countries to Grenada and Jamaica, and then eventually to the US. Um, but I really wanted to connect with people. Like part of it was I wanted to connect with young millennial black people in these countries that are my age and see what their life was like. Cause one, because mm. of the misconception of, you know, a lot of African countries, which I think again, through, travel and content and all that is is sort of being buried slowly but just really to connect with them to get them to get to know what their life was like for that purpose to share with people but also for my purpose to sort of see like a parallel like oh could i be like this type of person or would this have been my life had i not had my ancestors not been removed forcefully from these countries really you went like back to the future with it yeah yeah low key (laughs) I didn't think about it like that, but yes, on some back to the future shit. <laughs> you know what? I've never heard that perspective. Uh, and that's fascinating, Rondell. You you were thinking, could this have been my life had things gone differently? That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And it, it's, it's cool because I connected with so many young people like in their, well, young relative to me, late twenties, early thirties, which is around my age group. And I was like, okay, wow. Like we're going to brunch and we're going to the beach and we're hanging out and I'm learning what they do for a living um, and socializing with them. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Like this, this could have been my boy or this could have been me or my homegirl or my sister had I been in this country still. And, you know, that experience was really, really, really cool. Also to get their perspective of, you know, what, they feel about a lot more black people in America um, coming to visit, you know, got mm-hmm. the big campaign year of return that's getting so many people excited to, you know, quote unquote, go home. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to get their perspective, you know, to know if they were open arms about it, like we love it, if there was some resentment. Um, but it was all love, to be honest. Like I didn't experience anybody who was kind of like giving me the cold shoulder. Everyone was like, yo, I'm so happy that you came. I'm so happy that you're giving us a chance to tell our story and show our culture and show what we're about because we know what the perception is. And it's so much more than that. And it really was. So a huge part of it was that connecting with um, young people to, to get their experience, to hear their stories, to sort of insert myself in a back to the future type setting and, and see what that's like. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, another part of it was obviously the slavery experience. So. Um, going to slave houses where they would hold slaves, um, torture chambers, some wild shit. Like, you know, I'm a Christian, but seeing that there's a church in the middle of, like I said, those four slave forts that are connected, 
there's a church right in the middle. Like they, they used to have service while they were holding these slaves and abusing these slaves in these four quarters for Portugal, Britain, um, Spain, and France. And it's like, stuff like that really forces you to think, you know, beyond what you're used to. And like, again, a very, very, very layered and long conversation, but um, then walking to the point of no return and then seeing like all the torture, there was literally points of torture along the way. Like we know the worst part of it was obviously being on the boat for however long chained up and side by side and pissing and defecating on yourself and being split up from your family. But there was so much torture before that point. Like there was random shit like, oh, they would make slaves walk backwards around a tree 500 times, repeating a certain thing to get them delusional so that they would lose all sense of thought. And so um, there was another wow. point where they would have people, they would split up families and put different groups next to each other so they the different tribes couldn't communicate. And if they saw you talking to someone else, like you happen to be connected to someone by your tribe, they would cut your tongue off. Or um, a point where they were burying people alive who seemed like after all these different torture um, points that they wouldn't be strong enough to make it on the ship. It was like, oh, we're not gonna waste our space on you. We're just gonna bury you alive here. And like seeing all those points and hearing those stories firsthand then walking to the point of no return, which is like the shore where the boat was that would take them across the Atlantic to, you know, the Caribbean and South America and um, North America was just, man, you can't have that experience and then be regular when you come back. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you just can't. You have to be changed in one way or another. What was that change like for you? Well, uh, there's so much there. I've I've been to to similar um, I don't even want to call them. Uh, I've been to similar spaces, mm -hmm. uh, Cape Verde specifically, where they used to groom African people to then become enslaved. So they had a, they could speak a little bit of English potentially, or were a little bit better mannered. So they got a higher price. Um, and that is, I mean, even you talking about it shakes me up right now. What did you experience? And then what changed when you came back to New York? Yeah, I think for me, like there was, there was a lot of sadness. Um, you can't you can't go through that situation and not just feel sad and mad to a certain degree. But I think the more prevalent feeling was the pride of how far we've come in America, in the diaspora in general, considering all the shit that our ancestors had to go through. So to be standing there and be like, yo, I'm doing pretty well for myself, despite the odds that have been put against me and my parents and their parents and their parents, all the shit that they had to go through, all the like forcefully being separated from your family, being enslaved, then being like you're quote unquote free, figure it out and being at the bottom of the totem pole to then have to work your way up through still some form of slavery, even though it's you know free on paper, Mm. And to be to where I am now, I'm like, yo, my ancestors would be so fucking proud of me and what I've done. And I have to keep pushing. Like if there's any, if there's ever a point where I'm like, this is too much. I don't feel like doing this or what am I doing or why am I doing it? Like that point alone is enough to give you that motivation to be like, yo, you got to keep moving because 
where we came from to where we are now, even if your life isn't perfect, man, we've, we've, we are literally, and this is when people talk about like black people are powerful and resilient and can make it through anything. It's because we literally have made it through the worst. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that that's what I take with me. And I try to encourage, you know, everybody around me as best as possible to have that type of experience to, and I talk about this in my documentary. So I, I record um, these experiences on my heritage journey. They're on my YouTube page. Um, if you go to YouTube, it's Soul Society 101, S-O-U-L Society 101. I ended the video in Benin saying that I think that all Black people should make it a rite of passage situation like many other cultural and ethnic and racial groups where they go back to their quote unquote Mecca, their point of, of beginning because us being black people living in America and living, living in the diaspora at large, it's very easy to say like, I'm black in America or I'm black in a country in Europe or a country in the Caribbean and they're African. But literally one, we're the same people, but two, this, this is where we come from, man. Like it's, it's, it's one thing if you financially cannot afford it, it's another thing if you don't even have the the interest in doing it and i I definitely encourage encourage every black person if you have the means man it is a life-changing experience and it's one for the soul like if not for anything else for your soul to reconnect to that space man that's so interesting and there are a ton of points that i want to bring up but i know we're not going to be able to to flesh them out without spending four hours talking about this (laughs) but i dude i definitely agree it's powerful and one thing that I don't want to go understated, though, while we're on this topic, is that enslavement in the Caribbean was different than in the continental United States, the young United States. It was so different that um, U.S. Uh, slaveholders or slave owners did not want uh, Black people from the Caribbean because they had been under duress to a significant degree more than we had in the States. So, I mean, tracing your entire lineage and I mean, I'm, I'm from the, I'm from the States. I don't have any Caribbean heritage, but I respect the Caribbean because I've seen the papers. I've seen the reports. I've read the history. It was so much fucking different. Like literally people working so hard that their muscles ripped away from their bones consistently. Average age was like 23 for a, for a black male. Yeah, man. It's real. It's real. And and I think, I mean, even think about the weather conditions, bro. Like the South is hot, but like Caribbean in the summer. Yeah. That'll brown your sugar right up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, man, it, it's to me, it's like, I get it. Like we want to move forward. We want to, we don't want to deal with like the sad parts and all that stuff. But again, to me, I was, I was sad at a point and I was mad at a point, but the, the, Definitely the resounding feeling was pride and inspiration for me personally. Like, that's really what I gathered from it. Like, yo, all that shit is messed up, but look how far I came, man. And look how much further we have to go. And I want to be a part of going further and pushing further because, you know, like started from the bottom, now we're here and we got a lot more to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got a lot more to go. I do. And lately I've had more questions about that, about that idea. And again, we won't have time. We probably won't have time, but maybe we'll catch up live and talk about it because I'm curious about people, 
men of color, people of color who've been traveling like us, at some point, the value proposition for staying in the United States is real shitty. Hmm, man. That, I think that's worth discussing, bro. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, because it's, it's very philosophical. It's, it's a little bit political. I mean, I, I was talking to my bro the other day and I was like, you know what? Harriet and them had the right plan. Like people been leaving since jump. People been trying to get out of enslavement. But when you look at the numbers, the majority of us wasn't for whatever reason able to be a part of that journey. So when I think about the 400 plus years that have transpired or 400 or so years that have transpired here in the United States, and I've seen the world, I've seen where I can be accepted and treated. And yeah, I might be uncomfortable, but you know what? I don't have that thought in the back of the head. Mind you, I'm in Dallas where a cop might bust down my door and shoot me in my own fucking house. Right, right. I don't have that worry in France. And they're historically a shitty country. (laughs) like they didn't help stop in they didn't help in you know slavery enslavement (laughs) they were one of the biggest proponents but it's a i think it's a real question for those of us millennials who have seen the world is like well what do we really what's the narrative that we want to push forward are we willing to take that stand and move somewhere else just for our own for our own peace bro yeah it's a real thing man like I, i i i think about it often i think you know being exposed to more can be a gift and a curse um, because it leaves the curse is only that it leaves you with a lot more to evaluate and a lot more to you know compare against and and once you have that knowledge it's a great thing but it can also be a stressful thing like so I think about it all the time there are places where I definitely feel more comfortable than parts of the U.S. that's for sure bro like for sure I've been places where I'm like, yo, I could totally set up shop here. And especially in places where black people are the majority, like I've mm-hmm. not not all black majority countries are in a great place like economically, but just on like a social level, man, it's it's there's a there's a lot of things I think about that you're forced to think about once you travel more. I'm like, and that's and, and this honestly in my plan, that's what, going back to my point of like us connecting in the in the diaspora, in Europe, in the Americas and Africa, like part of that value is that we can maneuver not only like socially, but also like physically, you know what I'm saying? So we know what our life could be like if we lived in Paris or London or Amsterdam. We know what it could be like if we lived in one of the islands in the Caribbean, Brazil, these countries in Africa. And to be fair, like, why not? Aside from being a little bit far from family, why not? It, it's it's something that has always been in the narrative. I don't think it gets the attention that maybe it's warranted. You know, Nina Simone, Angela Davis, James Baldwin, Jack Johnson, a lot of people have left and just been like, I'm not coming back. And, um, you know, you mentioned it's a blessing and a curse. I count it all as blessings because to the same point that somebody might be ignorant because they don't know enough. I always would rather know. And you know what? Just because you know doesn't mean it comes without responsibility or accountability for right. that knowledge. Right, right, right. Listen, there's also the, the, I think it was Garvey, right? Who was like the, the Pan-African movement of like, we all need to move back to Africa. Um, he might not have been wrong, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but we, do, we don't talk about him enough during Black History Month. We talk about a couple figures consistently. Yeah. But, you know, there's, uh, you know, within the black movement and 
wow, this is this is going to be a hell of an interview. But within the black movement, there are certain narratives that get played up more than others. Wow. And I think one of the biggest the biggest fallacies about even just calling it a movement is that we are a monolith. It's something that you and I, as black men grown up in the States, that we struggle with trying to explain or express or um, show that we aren't all the same. We have different interests. I'm into anime. Somebody else is into hip hop. Somebody else is into, you know, classical music or dance. Like we aren't all the same, but when it comes to us as a people, we almost have, we speak as though we have the expectation, yet we've never done anything consistently. You think about the, the March on Washington, Mm -hmm. you know how many people, black people did not show up to that March? Listen, most of them. It's real, man. It's real. It's real. It's uh, it's definitely um, it, it's interesting. It's things I think about these days, and I'm glad that I have a, a platform and the ability to have these conversations. And we will have these conversations in real life because they're, they're things to think about. I'm curious why people want to stay. Um, I'm curious what people feel they have invested in. But once you've seen some shit, especially when people treat you like a person, see you as someone of value, of wow. someone being worth paying attention to. Wow, the basics. <laughs> what we'd aspire to be the basics. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting discussion. I feel like something that, you know, it's never going to be everybody. It's never going to be everybody, but some of us might be more open to that in this time and age where more black people can travel without being on the GI bill or enlisting in the military. This has never happened before, man. You yeah, you're right. You're right. We're going to, we're going to have to wrap this up because everything <laughs> can lead to 10 other conversations that that conversation alone is one I could talk about for <laughs> we're, we're going to have a whole dinner and drinks about it. it's going to be sponsored by uncle nearest whiskey they're going to take care of us it's going to be great um <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing that about the point of no return because a lot of people have ventured to the African continent not everybody has had the opportunity to see the point of no return so I'm glad it had an impact um and uh, something that resonated for you because that tends to be how everybody talks about it in their own way. But um, I think it's powerful when everybody says, you know what? I was, I was shook when I came here. Yeah. It's, there's no way, like I literally felt the vibration in my being standing in that point. Like there, it's hard to put into words because mm. it's, it's not, it's not, um, it's not all a physical vibration. Like it's something on a spiritual, again, not to weird anybody out, but it's something on a different level that you feel being there that you can't necessarily put into words. And that's why I'm so passionate about people learning about that experience, visiting the continent in general, but preferably if you could go somewhere connected to your roots. I mean, it's, it's a game changer for sure. That's, that's the truth, man. And it's, it's significant when the energy of a space resonates with you in such a deep way when you've only just read words about it you've only seen you know pictures in a magazine or on the internet you've only read words you've imagined the whole thing but when you get in that space you you can't help but but feel something but be touched by it that's real yeah facts we got deep and I'm out of tequila. So let's light things <laughs> up, bro. Um, you have been in the the space encouraging people of color to travel, Soul Society 101. You've been doing the thing. I want to talk about the state of Black people moving throughout the world, people of color moving throughout the world. How have you seen the movement change and what do you think is coming up next 
for all of us out here, you know, whether we aspire to be influencers or content creators, how do you think things are transitioning as we move towards the future? It's interesting. The the whole space of of content creation, again, uh, in the influencer space, social media in general, a lot of people talk down about it. I think, I think personally it's done more good than bad. I think that uh, we have gotten the opportunity to share stories that quite frankly should have been told a long time ago, or if mm. they were told, they weren't told from our perspective, which is like a young black person, in this case, young black man. And, you know, oftentimes we're not given the platform. So what social media and us being content creators and, and all that has done is allowed us to have all, all of us have our own little show. All of us have our own little show, no matter how big or small your audience is. And we're able to shape to some degree the 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 idea, the thoughts of whatever you know amount of people are looking at the content that we're creating. So for those of us using that platform in an amazing way, like you with your podcast and allowing all these amazing black men to tell their stories and you know, when I create the the documentary series and all the video content and, and podcast content that I create and even just posting photos, pe- posting photos in places that someone who's watching your feed is probably like, yo, I didn't even know that people be out like that. Right. When I started Society Man, literally, I was, I was, again, I started out a lot in the Caribbean. I already explained why. And then I would randomly find somebody who's like in like japan japan has been on my list forever and i would see a black person in japan living their best life and i'm like nah i can get to japan if they're there or i would see someone in the middle east in a desert or morocco uh in in the desert and i'd be like yo black people just be everywhere and that's that inspiration you know the platform has inspired me my platform has inspired me just as much as it's inspired everyone else. Like, I don't think I would have gone to half the places or, or at least as early as I did if I didn't see other people doing it. So that's the pro of it. I hope it continues to go in that direction. I hope we continue to inspire each other, encourage each other to go further and have more thoughtful thoughtful travel also. Like not just mm. going to turn up, but also going to like learn and come back better and stronger and, and wiser than we, um, before we left. But also, I think, um, like I said, it's everyone has their own little show. So I hope the future of the Black travel space and us being content creators is that we we find a way to develop our stories in an even more impactful way um, by coming together and and building something. I don't know what that thing is yet. Again, I don't know what's going to come of the diaspora connecting um, black people in Europe and in the Caribbean and in America and Africa and South America. I don't know what's going to become of it, but something great or many great things are going to become of us connecting. I don't know what yet, but I do know that we are a lot, a lot better connected than we were divided. So I'm pro social media, pro us connecting, pro us continuing to tell our stories. I love it, man. I just hope to see more of it. And clearly you're pro Wakanda because that's what happens when we all get together. <laughs> exactly, man. Wakanda forever. Yo, right. that movie alone, man, that movie alone inspired so many people. And I would look at that movie and be like, yeah, this is a this is science fiction, but like they're pulling from actual tribes 
actual scenery that I've seen with my own eyes, like mm. trees in the beginning of the movie are trees that I've seen in, in Kenya and Tanzania. I'm like, these things exist. And I wish like people got so excited because it's like a magical world. And it was granted, but it's also like, y'all, do y'all realize that y'all could go to Namibia and see this tribe right now that you're like gawking over on the, on the fucking movie screen. Like this is real life. A lot of it was real life. And I want, us to realize like, yo, our culture, because I can say our culture is dope as fuck. Like in every facet, in every country, like we just need to like learn it and embrace it and and like be present in it, man. We got to get out more. Yeah, that, that's a that's a real, a real thing and a real possibility. I feel like I'm preaching about the blackness now, but <laughs> I'm passionate <laughs> about this shit, man. <laughs> I mean, that, that's why we're having this conversation. I'm so grateful for all the insights you have to share. And I love that you almost put that challenge out of becoming more thought-provoking when it comes to travel and how we get involved in it. It's, it's something I definitely aspire to have. I mean, this entire discussion has been thought-provoking, uh, way different than a lot of other discussions I've had. And, and thanks for going there with me. But we're going to need more. At some point, we will all have been to those same 12 countries that we all see on Instagram. And at some point, we're going to come back and we're going to raise kids. We're going to be involved with our communities. And what will we actually have to say about our experiences and why it's worth continuing to invest in ourselves in terms of going abroad and truly experiencing what's out there in the world? Yeah, for sure, man. And, and, and being intentional is not always serious. Like some of those situations, like slavery is going to be serious regardless. But a lot of it is fun as hell. So I just want to make sure people understand that too. Like you can have an intentional travel experience where you're really learning about the culture and it also be lit. Like it can all be in one rolled up pop and pack. Right, <laughs> right, right. And that's a package that I'm going to tell you right now isn't on the market. So mm. if you're listening and you are a trip organizer, get your shit together. <laughs> Commander Jack told you, get your shit together. Like don't, don't, don't play with me. <laughs> don't play with me. You know, um, speaking of, I mean, and you're going to need that too. You're going to need some levity. You're going to need some lightheartedness because the shit does get heavy and you need to break it up. So after my uh, point of no return experience, we all had some brilliantly made rum that was made down the street, like some traditional, like it was, it was a great night. We saw dancing, singing, like we, we enjoyed ourselves and you have to have both. Otherwise the heavy stuff will always be too heavy, will always be too much. Yeah, for sure. And I think, listen, and this goes to Black people in general, when you look at our culture, I think that's always been us. We've always had to deal with some real heavy shit, but we're also like, <laughs> you talk about content creation, we're also the ones who create the funniest fucking content. You know what I'm saying? Like we can laugh and have fun through just about anything. So I, I do say like, have the have those intentional experiences and immerse yourself in culture, you'll have fun regardless. I just want people to go. I just want people to go because once they go, I know that they're not going to stop. I know that they're going to keep going. It's just the people that who, who, who haven't gone yet. I want you to go for the first time. Like, and this just means further, whatever that is for you. And once you go further, I want you to keep going further physically and also like in integrating yourself in the experience. So, um, just like people, we pop in. Let's just travel and do what we do around the world. Connect with people, build, and and just I don't know something dope is coming. Though I feel like we are on the verge of of something amazing. I I hope to be a part of it as big or small of a role in it, but I definitely feel it coming, man. 
That's real, man. I, I definitely understand that sentiment. And yeah, get started. Like no matter where you are, just get started. There's no travel shaming here. There's no better or worse. If you can get started, you will be taking advantage of an opportunity in time that our ancestors simply have not had access to. You can take your your future family or your future relationships, whether that be friendships or whatever, to a level that just hasn't been possible. Like we can all elevate each other just by sharing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bet. Well, speaking of sharing, because I'm a master of transitions, Rondell, why don't you share with us all the awesome projects and activities and ways we can get involved and check out what you're creating out there in New York? Um, this is your this is your moment to shine, bro. What you got going on? Yo, 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 this shit now. Let me stop. <laughs> yo, <laughs> yo, put your phones down now. Listen up. Shut up. Listen. Listen. Listen, son. Nah, um, thank you so much for, for listening, y'all. Um, my social media on Instagram, um, King Ron the Don, all spell actual words, not D-A, the King Ron the Don is my personal handle. Um, Soul Society, S-O-U-L Society is where I host, I post all the travel content, not, not only my own, but other people. Um, so you'll get a good variety from those two pages. Um, I just started my YouTube page because video content is where I'm really at right now. Soul Society 101. So that's S-O-U-L Society 101 on YouTube. Um, I have a lot of dope series coming up. That's also where you'll, where you'll see my um, Heritage Journey documentary where I trace my roots to Africa. Um, so yeah. Togo and Benin videos are up. Uh, Ghana, I'm going to next week. So that video will be up very soon. Um, and I have a lot of dope content coming out there. So that's where you can keep in touch with me. Let me know your thoughts, all that dope stuff. That's what's up. And if you do not get a chance to join uh, Rondell in Ghana for the year of return, is it Togo or Benin that has one of the largest voodoo festivals around New Year's? Uh, I believe it's Benin. And the, <laughs> their, their festival, man, I mean, their, their, their culture on voodoo, that's also in my documentary series. That also was a life-changing experience, learning about voodoo firsthand and being just in that space. Man, it's it's just a mind-blowing thing that we, we're so connected to but don't even realize. So That's right. Shout out to my Hex gang out here for the culture. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so in case you know Ghana ain't got no more reservations at the hotel, no more spots for you, no more tickets left on the plane, you know, just go a little bit to the armpit of Africa, literally there. Um and you can check out the world's largest voodoo festival out there. Bro, it's been a pleasure and honor. I'm glad we could connect like this. Uh, definitely, we will be in touch soon. And I think you shared so much valuable information and you know, hopefully some angles that maybe people haven't approached you with before when it comes to your story and your journey. Man, this, this has been an amazing time. You definitely um, have allowed me to, to think about things in ways that I haven't before. So I appreciate you not coming with the regular old, degular old questions. Um, it really, no, but seriously, it really, it really forced me to think critically about some stuff that I have never thought about before. So thank you. I appreciate you and your platform. Y'all are dope for listening. Um, Jerry, keep doing your thing, man. You, you're doing amazing stuff. 
Thank you, Roman. And real talk in New York, we're going to have a social lasagna pop-up food and drink and conversation session. Uh, it's going to be at Rondell's house. Don't ask me how, just speak on it, you know. Um, but dude, thank you so much. Hope to have you back here in the community, here back at the Point Noir podcast. And until then, man, travel safely and travel well. Thank you, bro. Thank you, bro. Peace. Peace. Folks, that's all the news that is fit to tell. In my opinion, that was a jam-packed session. I hope you feel the same way. Rondell, thank you so much, brother, for spending the time, the transparency, the level of discussion, you just tolerating my questions and silly jokes. Bro, literally, when I was editing that, that was the session I needed to hear in the moment. So I know so many of the listeners, so many people in the community are going to feel the same way because those are some real perspectives we haven't had on the show yet. Again, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you're following him on his personal account on Instagram at King Ron the Don, T-H-E, not D-A, like he mentioned in the session. Make sure you check out Soul Society at Soul Society on Instagram. They also have a podcast, obviously, Soul Society 101. Make sure you find them on YouTube, Soul Society 101. Show my boys some love. Help that channel grow because we need more amazing content and perspectives, just like the ones that he's out here creating, curating, and displaying, and sharing for the entire world to see. So there you have it. That's this week's session. Like I mentioned, I will be in the DMV area next week. I'm super thrilled to be doing so. Can't wait to be on the hollowed grounds of Howard University. Heard so much about it and I've never been. So I can't wait to visit. And also my boy, Brian Beyond Be More. Can't wait to support his function and give you all a little bit of an inside peek of what's going on, what's about to launch off in the Baltimore area because it's going to change a lot of lives not just the ones that we see today but for generations i know it's going to be a big deal so if you're not already again make sure you're following us on instagram at point noir show and if you haven't left us a review yet on itunes or whatever platform you listen on and you really like the show and you want to show your support what an amazing way to show that you really you know mess with what we got going on here would love to hear your honest feedback in the form of a rating and review on any of those platforms whatever works for you i will thank you eternally for that so if you have a few minutes this week you can show us a little bit of love i'd really appreciate it and that's coming from the kimono jack's mouth himself that all being said y'all travel safely travel well take care of yourselves protect your energy and I hope you are still on track with all the ambitions you set out to accomplish at the beginning of this incredible new decade and new year. That all being said, as always, this is Kimono Jack signing off.